Hey, you can have a seat. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Bryce Johnson. I'm one of the pastors and leaders here. And uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee, buy lunch, get to know you, get to know your story, uh, and uh, share some of mine as well. Um, and if you don't know already, I'm Indian, and one of the beautiful things about Indian culture is about how much we focus on hospitality by way of feeding you or feeding others. And so my beautiful wife, who is not Indian, um, had learned this the hard way uh, about a month into marriage. We were visiting some of my uh, uncles and aunts and extended family in, in New York. And so uh, we went up there and we're trying to see about four or five families in the matter of uh, an afternoon or evening. And so each house that we roll up to, we're uh, presented with food. Um, it's typically snacks, and you're expected to partake of it. Um, you know, so at least, at least two or three servings. And so uh, at each house, we're, we're partaking of these snacks. And by the time we get to the third or fourth house, uh, they, they put the snacks in front of us. We've consumed of it. We've, drink it, we've drunk the tea. And, and then my uncle rolls up, and he says, all right, dinner's ready. And, 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 and I, I look over and my wife's trying to stifle a groan because she can't eat anymore. She's just not used to it. Um, we, uh, she's just tired of eating. And, you know, we'd have a conversation uh, that evening or the next day about it because clearly I am used to uh, eating that much. And it, listen, it takes a lot of work to keep this figure, all right? So, um, but I share this story because our passage today focuses on a meal and a question that Jesus is asked at this meal, and the answer that Jesus gives, and the point of this passage that we read this morning, is summed up by this one statement, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to call sinners. It's, it's one of the most basic truths and most glorious truths of all of Christianity. Jesus came to call sinners. And here's what we're going to look at this morning, right, what I present to you. This is that this passage teaches us that Jesus calls us, but he calls us to a few different things. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to relationship. And Jesus calls us to mission. Jesus calls us to follow him to relationship and to mission. And so if you would jump into the passage with me. Um, actually, before we get there, let me give you some, some background of where we've been. Um, the passage right before this, we, we uh, read it a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus has a paralytic man brought to him uh, by some friends, and Jesus heals the man physically and spiritually. Jesus tells him, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he tells him, rise up, take your bed, and go home. And he does. And the religious folks were just shocked, and everyone else wondered, because not only did Jesus display his authority over illness, and disease, he displayed his authority to forgive sins. And only God can forgive sins. This is already just some, just some uh, mystery and some intrigue around Jesus. And then we get to this story. And so Mark chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 13, I'm going to read it. And he, being Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now this man, Levi, is uh, most scholars 
um, agree that he's Matthew, the disciple. Uh, in fact, the Gospel of Matthew tells us it's Matthew. And so it says Jesus saw Levi or saw Matthew, the son of Alphaeus. And, and what was he doing? Well, he was sitting in a tax booth. Now, why is that important? Why it's, what's so significant about that? Well, if you grew up in church, you know that tax collectors are not viewed very favorably in the New Testament. And um, maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you have, uh, you know, some hatred towards the IRS or uh, you hate taxes or think we shouldn't have to pay taxes. But the reason that tax collectors were so despised in the Bible is not because the Bible is against taxes. So side note, please pay your taxes. But context is crucial. The Jewish people were under we're God's covenant people, and they're under foreign occupation. They're under occupation by Rome, and Rome's this foreign pagan power that's ruling over God's people. And Rome levied taxes, and the way they did this is they would go and find and hire Jewish men who were willing to make some money to collect taxes on their own people. And those taxes went to fund the Roman military so that they could keep people like Jews under their control. And so here's what the tax collectors would do. They, uh, they, they're not just saying, hey, give us all your money, but they would go and uh, base off the goods that you have, they would overvalue it so that you would have to pay more taxes uh, than what your goods were worth. They would give Rome what Rome is due, and then they would pocket the extra. And they had the backing of the Roman guards to enforce it. And so tax collectors were hated, not just because they collected more taxes than they had to, but because they were seen as traitors to their own people, people who willingly betrayed their own nation to make money. In fact, they were so hated that they were forbidden from, uh, from worshiping in the synagogue uh, because they betrayed God's covenant people. A tax collector was forbidden from being a witness in court because who could trust the word of a tax collector? They were lumped in a group with thieves and criminals and prostitutes. In fact, anything that a tax collector touched was considered unclean. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just anywhere you went considered unclean? Can you imagine never being trusted or never uh, being believed about anything you said? And it's this man, this shunned, distrusted, treasonous, traitor Levi, in the middle of his betrayal, sitting in the middle of his tax booth, in the middle of his sin, Jesus saw Levi. And Jesus saw all the things that Levi had done. Right? All, all, every time he had robbed someone, every time he had used his power and authority to exploit vulnerable Jews, Jesus saw Levi, and every time his name was cursed, every time someone avoided him, every time he was forbidden from being in the synagogue, this repulsive and broken man but Jesus also saw who Levi would be. Someone who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Someone who would glorify God by his life and his testimony. Someone who would one day stand complete in Christ, standing in the radiance and the righteousness of Christ on that last day. Now, notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say Levi was looking for Jesus. It doesn't say Levi was having this crisis of conscience as he's sitting in the tax booth about cheating his fellow countrymen. It just says Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees Levi sitting in the tax booth and rather than folding his arms in displeasure, rather than, uh, you know, 
overthrowing the tax booth rather than stopping and turning and making a point about the wickedness of tax collectors, what does Jesus do? He speaks to him and he says, follow me. And Levi gets up from the tax booth and starts following Jesus. Friends, that's the story of salvation right there. That you weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus found you. Jesus calls sinners out of their sin and to himself. And if you're in here and if you're in Christ, this is your story. That once upon a time, you didn't want anything to do with Jesus. You wanted to live a life that pleased you, that, that fed to your um, uh, wants and needs, living a life contrary to one that would honor God. And Jesus saw you, and he called your name, and he said, follow me. The book of Romans, the letter to Romans, says it this way in Romans 5. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were friends of God. But God shows his love for us in that while we were, had cleaned up our act. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Listen, friends, you didn't do anything to warrant it. You weren't good enough. You weren't holy enough. You weren't impressive enough for Jesus to save you. But he saw you and he saw who you would be in him. And he calls you to follow him, and you did. And so, so, so do this. Insert your name into the story. Jesus saw your name, and he said, follow me. Jesus saw Derek, and he said, follow me. Jesus saw Stacy, and he said, follow me. Friends, this is, this, if I can be honest, this is my story. Jesus saw Bryce, son of Abraham, sitting in his own self-righteousness and empty works that were going nowhere, and he said, follow me. And I got up, and I did. I followed him. And so if you're in here, and you're not a Christian, and you're not even sure why you're here, can I offer that it's because Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees all your junk, all your shame, all your brokenness, all the things that you've done, and he still loves you and he wants you. He's inviting you to follow him. He's not telling you, hey, get your act together and then maybe we can talk. He doesn't say, hey, you, can, you have to follow this, these set of rules or these laws. You don't have to follow frontline church. He says, follow me. Jesus can I offer that you're not here because someone dragged you here? Or you're not here because you're looking for God, but because Jesus loves you and wants you. Listen, Levi wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. Jesus is not standing here with his arms folded, telling you to clean yourself up to follow him. He's just inviting you to follow him. Now, now listen, he will ask some things of you. He will ask some hard things. But like Levi recognized when he left his job and his livelihood and his money to follow Jesus. He's worth it. He's worth it. So Jesus calls Levi to follow him. But where does Levi follow Jesus to? Well, the text tells us he follows him to the dinner table. And it's because Jesus calls us to mission. 
Mark 2, verse 15. And as he, being Jesus, as he reclined at table in his house, so Jesus is reclining at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So, so Jesus is sharing a meal with Levi and Levi's friends and his disciples, and it's essentially, it's, it's a big party. And, and notice Jesus' posture. He's, he's reclining at table. He's, friends, he's, he's laid up. He's relaxing. In, in the first century, you didn't sit at a dinner table with chairs uh, up against the table. You had these low tables where food was presented and you had cushions on the ground. And so you would lay down, you would recline uh, with your head close to the table, your feet farther away um, so that you could eat this meal. And it's a very relaxed position. I don't know if you've ever reclined like that. Um, my wife and I led a community group at our previous church and uh, one week we had this new, new guy show up uh, and so there's like 15 of us sitting around uh, on chairs and couches. We're, we're doing some sort of Bible study. And in the middle of it, new guy gets up off the couch and lays down on the ground and like looks up at us as we're talking. I mean, homeboy got real comfortable, right? Like you've got to be really comfortable to lay down in a stranger's house. But this is, this is Jesus. He's relaxed. He's comfortable. He's feasting and he's celebrating with Levi and his friends. <laughs> and notice how the scribes and the Pharisees respond. Verse 16, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, there's a few groups here. We, we've talked about the tax collectors. Sinners um, are not just like occasional rule breakers, right? Guys who occasionally lie or something like that. This is a group of people that were outside of the law of God, right? And so it's, it's a broad group. Think big time sinners, right? So you've got your criminals, your thieves, your prostitutes, those who didn't want anything to do with Yahweh. This is a group of sinners. So, so they're saying, hey, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Pharisees, we, we, they often get a bad rap and, and sometimes rightfully so, but Pharisees were these groups or were these people that really, really, really wanted to please God. And so they thought, hey, you know what's going to please God? If we obey all the laws and commandments. And so they oriented the, their lives to strictly obey all the commandments, and they really tried to be set apart. The problem was they often added to the law, and what they really did was they focused on what you could see, the external acts, without really looking inwardly. And so these religious Pharisees whose main concern was appearing holy, was appearing righteous, couldn't believe that Jesus, a holy man of God, was associating himself with sinners and tax collectors. Those who were unclean, had no care for the law. And the issue here really wasn't that Jesus was associating with them, but they were so upset because of what meals represented in the first century. Now, if you or I go out to dinner or, or uh, invite someone over for dinner, we're generally eating with people we like, right? It's, it's family, it's friends, it's acquaintances, it's, it's people we'd like to know better. Um, but even we avoid being seen eating with some people, right? Um, I think middle schoolers understand this fundamentally uh, in, in middle school cafeteria setting, right? Um, my, my middle school cafeteria, you know, we, we had these tables and, and it wasn't like the movies where you had like the jock table and the nerd table and the cheerleaders and, and, and all that. Um, you just kind of generally sat with people, you had, you had these cliques, but there were a few unfortunate people who uh, were just um, 
really wildly unpopular that, that no one dared to sit next to um, because of the social stigma. I mean, I'm in my mid-30s, and to this day, I remember the name of the most unpopular girl in seventh grade that everyone tried to avoid, that my friends and I, we went to great lengths to ensure we weren't within yards of her at lunchtime. They didn't understand this. See, in the first century here, eating at a table with someone wasn't just something you did with people, but it conveyed, some, it conveyed deep friendship and intimacy and unity. One author notes that, that eating a meal with someone was so significant that if you betrayed that person, or if you were unfaithful to that person, it was one of the most reprehensible things that you could do. And on the flip side, if you were in conflict with someone, if you were, if you were fighting with someone, a meal opened up the door towards reconciliation. And so meals were not just for nourishment, but they indicated relationship and intimacy. And it makes sense because this is one of the ways that Jesus describes his ministry. Friends, if, if I were to ask you, hey, how would you describe Jesus' ministry? I, th- I, th- I think we describe it by, man, he taught really well. He did some miracles. He, he cast out some demons. He, he died and rose again. And these are all true and right. But listen to how Jesus, one of the ways Jesus describes his own ministry In Luke 7, this is Jesus uh, talking, and he says, The Son of Man, which is Jesus, has come eating and drinking. Hey, I've come eating and drinking. And he's like, and you say, talking to the Pharisees, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Listen, Jesus came to this earth eating and drinking, and because of how much his ministry revolved around eating and drinking, and because of who he was associating with, his critics called him a glutton and drunkard, not because he was, but because of who he was around. They called him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was friends with those who, by their actions, seemed fundamentally opposed to him, and yet he feasts with them. And he does it to display the nature of his kingdom that invites in the outsider, the repulsive, the broken. Meals are so much a part of Jesus' ministry um, that one author, Robert Karras, he wrote a book uh, on the Gospel of Luke. And he studied the whole Gospel of Luke and he realized one thing. He he says this in his book, Eating, Eating Your Way Through Luke. He says, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal at a meal, or coming from a meal. Think about that next time you read through Luke. In all the stories, Jesus is either coming from a meal, he's at a meal, he's going to a meal. And this makes all the more sense when you realize that meals conveyed friendship and reconciliation. So friends, let me offer that when Jesus saves us and called us into the kingdom, he called us into a relationship with him and with others. He called us to the dinner table of friendship. It's not a transactional relationship, but one of love and friendship and union. We didn't do anything to be invited to the table, but it's a table of grace. Now, if you're anything like me, that sounds great, but it's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Because I know up here Jesus loves me, but sometimes in here, I really wonder if he likes me. Because I look at my life and my brokenness and my cycles of sin, and I wonder, Jesus, how could you still want me at the table? Maybe, maybe you feel the same way. 
Maybe, maybe once upon a time, you willingly and gladly got up from the tax booth and you followed Jesus. And you said, Jesus, whatever you say, whatever you want, I'm in. And then life happened, or your own decisions, you fall, fall back into old patterns of sin, or new patterns of sin, or you just kind of fell away and things feel distant. Have you ever been there? I have. I look at my own betrayal of Jesus and I wonder, Jesus, why would you even want me? We, um, we didn't spend a long time in it, in it, but a few weeks ago, we uh, read through Mark 1 about Jesus calling his first disciples. His first disciples, uh, some guys named Simon and Andrew. And Simon and Andrew were fishermen by trade. And so they're out, they're out fishing, they're minding their own business, doing their fishing thing, and Jesus rolls up on them one day. And he says the same thing that he says to Levi. He sees them. Again, they're doing their own thing, and Jesus says, follow me. And they left their nets, and they followed him. Simon, the first disciple of Jesus, he, he goes by another name in some of the, gospel, in the Gospels. Maybe you've heard of it. It's Peter. Peter, along with the other disciples, they walk with Jesus for years. They hear his teaching. They learn from him. They see his miracles. In fact, they get to do wonderful, amazing things themselves. And on the night that Jesus is betrayed, Peter makes this bold statement. He says, Jesus, I will never betray you or deny you. These other fools, they might. I will never do that. Jesus is arrested. Peter's hanging out by a fire, trying to figure out what's going on, and a servant girl rolls up on him and says, hey, I, I recognize you. You were with Jesus. Peter says, nope, not me. Someone else walks up to him and says, no, you, you were with Jesus. Peter says, seriously, I don't know him. And someone else says, no, I have seen you with Jesus. And Peter curses him and says, I don't know the man at all. He denies his best friend, his savior, his Jesus. And when he realizes what he's done, scripture says he bitterly weeps. And after Jesus is crucified, do you know what, you know what Peter does? He goes back to being a fisherman. Full of shame and grief and brokenness at what he's done, he goes back to his old life. Fishing. And then one morning after the resurrection, because uh, here's a side note, Jesus comes up out of the grave. One night after the resurrection, one morning after the resurrection, Peter is out on the water in a boat trying to fish. And Jesus shows up on the shore. And one of Peter's buddies says, look, it's the Lord. Peter sees him throws on his clothes because he's not wearing any, and he swims to shore, and he gets there. What do you think Jesus is doing? Jesus standing there saying, took you a long time to not deny me, huh? Is he, is he, is he demanding um, an apology or, or a response? 
Do you know how Jesus greets Peter? Peter shows up, and Jesus is cooking breakfast for him on the beach. Jesus restores Peter with a meal. After Peter had denied him, after he had gone back to his whole life, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, you're still my boy. And what Jesus is showing Peter is that no matter what he had done, no matter how he felt, he was never outside the love of Christ. Friends, no matter what you've done, no matter what you feel, you are never outside the love of Christ. There's a breakfast on the beach for you too. Whew. Now I could end the story right there. I could end the sermon. We could go home, have lunch, you know, talk about how great Jesus is and call it a day. But I think there's one more point that this text would have us see. Jesus calls us to himself. Jesus calls us to relationship with him and with others. But Jesus also calls us to mission. Now remember, the Pharisees offered this accusation of, of why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so let's look at Jesus' response, Mark 2, verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came out to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus tells us his mission right then and there, and he does it brilliantly by comparing it to a doctor. Now, imagine I, um, imagine I came up to my friend Jeff or uh, Marianne, who also happens to be a physician, and I said, Marianne, you're great. I really don't care about the people that you're hanging out with. You seem to always be hanging around sick people. I don't know why you're always around sick people. It would seem a little ridiculous, right? Or imagine um, a, a doctor with all the knowledge and learning and understanding and knowing how to diagnose and treat a sick person who refuses to see sick people because he's afraid of catching the sickness. It's ridiculous, right? They'd be the world's most useless doctor. But Jesus says he's around sick people all the time because he can restore them, because he is a physician who could actually heal them. But you've got to know that you're sick. Two weeks ago, um, uh, it's, it's, it's Sunday night, and I was just in incredible pain, and so much so that my wife had to take me to the ER in the middle of the night. Um, not because the ER is a fun place at 11 p.m., trust me, it's not. Uh, but because I was in incredible pain, and I'd gotten to a point where I realized something is wrong with my body, and I don't know how to fix it. And so I went to someone who could fix it. And by God's grace, they gave me some pain medicine and sent me on my way. But just like we don't usually go to the doctor unless we're unwell, Jesus says that his invitation is for all those who would recognize their need. See, Jesus came for the sick and the far to make them well and to bring them near. But the irony is that it wasn't just the sinners and tax collectors who were sick or far off. 
read the Gospels, the Pharisees and the scribes are just as sick. The issue was they didn't recognize it. They were full of self-righteousness and pride and injustice, but they weren't aware of it. They saw everyone else's sin, but they couldn't see the sickness in their own heart. That was evidenced by the way that they treated the sinners and the tax collectors. Friends, Jesus came to call sinners, and if you're in Christ today, you have received the healing medicine of the gospel that has made us alive in Christ and brought us to a a relationship. But he also calls us to join him in his mission, to bring others around the table. Levi recognized it. He He brought his friends around him because he had to tell them, he had to show them what Christ had done for him. He brought people along. Who else is at the dinner table? Jesus' disciples, right? He's modeling for them and in turn modeling for us what we ought to emulate. Friends, we've been called to the dinner table so that we might reflect the hospitable mission of God. And what's Jesus' mission? It's to call sinners, right? But how is he doing it? By eating with them. Right? There's something about eating meals and hospitality that displays the healing medicine of the gospel. So think about the last, last great meal that you had that wasn't with a close family member or close friend or roommate. Who was with you? How'd the meal go? How'd you leave? See, it's around meals that acquaintances become friends, right? It's around meals that we get to share our stories, get to share our highs and our lows, our victories and our deep brokenness. It's around meals that people become more than just ideologies or social media personas, more than just conservative or liberal. They become people in need of Jesus and his saving gospel. And friends, this is one of the reasons why, if you're in a community group here, why we stress family meal, and that's why that's one of our rhythms. And maybe you feel like family meal nights are unimportant or less important uh, than Bible study nights. But listen, we're not more holy than our Savior. We have family meals because we grow in relationship with one another as we display hospitality, as we break bread, as we share life. So let me offer that if you're skipping family meal, you're missing out on one of the key components of following Jesus. Shameless plug, if you're in here and you're not part of a community group, please come find one of us afterwards. We would love to connect you with one. Being on mission means that like Jesus who came eating and drinking with sinners, we ought to live in such a way that our homes and our relationships and our lives are open to those outside the kingdom. It means that we ought to be around sick people for the purpose of bringing restoration. Friends, do people know us as an eating and drinking type of people? So, so here's, some, here's some questions for you. Who in your life is far from God? Or who in your sphere of influence would be the equivalent of a tax collector or a sinner or an outsider? Who do you look at and be like, man, their life is a mess. That stinks. I don't want my kids growing up like them. Maybe it's someone of a different political affiliation or a different religion. And maybe the first step would be to invite them over this week into your home and to cook them a great meal 
and love on them and show them kindness and grace. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to confront them of their sin. Just show them the love and hospitality and welcome that Jesus showed you while you were still far off. And we can do this because here's the thing. We're not the physician. You don't have to diagnose them. You don't have to heal them because you can't. We don't bring the healing ourselves. The pressure's not on us, but we know the doctor. And just as he has brought us healing, we can reflect that and point to Christ ourselves. And we don't have to live in fear for those who are different or those who are far off. By the way, remember the story of Jesus and Peter on the beach? While Peter's eating his fish breakfast, do you know what Jesus does? Jesus calls him to mission. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and do you know what Jesus says three times? To restore Peter, he says, feed my sheep. Friends, Christ calls us to himself. And he calls us to relationship. And he calls us to mission. If you would bow your heads with me. Love for you to take a moment right now and see See where the rub is. What is the Lord calling you to right now? Is the Lord calling you to get up and follow him? If so, would you respond? Is the Lord calling you to love on your neighbor or your coworker who's different? Maybe the Lord's just reminding you that he loves you and he loves you deeply and you need to sit in that.